It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and the people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Luke 2, 8 through 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Well, hey, uh, it's good to be with you this morning um, in the second week of Advent. You know, uh, each week of Advent, we've been looking in the prophet Micah and looking at this theme of hope. And one of the things that I'm really aware of is that this might be maybe the hardest week. Uh, And I mean that because we're talking about a, a world at peace. It's about this vision of of having hope for a world that's at peace. And the reason why I said it, because when we think about this, that seems naive to think about that. Uh, And I think there's a couple reasons for this. Um, One is just thinking about history. You know, in 1911, there's this guy named Ralph Norman Angel, a British citizen. He, He achieved fame by writing this book called The Great Illusion. He, in fact, later earned the Nobel Peace Prize for it. But the premise of the book was this, that the costs of war had become so high and the economies of the world were so interdependent that that would actually prevent war from happening. And as this book came out, it actually sold almost 2 million copies. There's like 15 different languages it was, it was printed in. A lot of leaders hailed it. Um, one said, this is a glorious book to read, pregnant with promises to the future of a civilized man. You see, many agreed with this kind of rational argument that because of the economic interdependence, that would lead to a world at peace. But I hope you caught something there. That book was written in 1911. Three years later would be World War I. Two decades later would be World War II. And in the end, there would be 77 million that would would die. 
In other words, his premise for peace was upended by the harsh reality of the world, right? And so even now, it feels even foolish to talk about a hope for peace. But, you know, here's the deal. We don't even have to think about global conflicts. We can just look in our own lives and lack hope. Um, Think about the conflict in your marriage, among your kids. Or think about the, the conflict that you face at your workplace, those people that are really hard to work with. Or just think about, you know, I th- I'm just thinking of like junior high days. Oh my word, why is everybody so mean, right? You walk in and you... you How do you live in a world like this and believe there's actually going to be something coming that is actually at peace? I mean, even I mean, even if you try hard, things oftentimes fall apart. And even if right now you're in relationships and they're all going wonderfully, you also know many other people that have had a fallout. In fact, many of you right now, you know, these are, um, (laughs) you know, the holidays are anxiety boosting because some of you, you have to go back and hang out with family members, which are really hard to hang out with, right? So why would we talk about a hope for a world at peace? Isn't that naive? Isn't that foolish? And yet here we are in the prophet Micah. It was just read, and we'll talk more about it, but there's this, there's this poetic vision of this world at peace. And you know, you might think if Micah's writing this, that maybe he lived in sort of a golden era, you know, which it seemed probable, almost like, you know, Ralph Norman Angel in the being of the 19th, or excuse me, 20th century. But that's actually not the case. In fact, what's really interesting, uh, right before chapter four of Micah, the very last line of chapter three, Micah says this, he says, the city of Jerusalem will be a heap of ruins. He says, that's what's coming. Because of the oppression and the violence of these people and this city, God is bringing judgment on them. And yet, it's right in the midst of that, right in the midst of that, that's where the vision of peace comes. That means there's something here. Because Micah is not in a golden era. He is in a situation that is hopeless. There is no reason he should think there is peace coming. In other words, think about this for a moment. If you struggle in the day-in, day-out realities of your world, and you go, there's no way there can be peace here. Micah is your friend. He understood it. And therefore, as Micah holds out this vision of peace, it's held out in which he knows the harsh reality of this world. He is not naive, and we're going to see this is not hollow. This vision is to give honest people who are, feel hopeless true and lasting, realistic, reliable hope that is grounded in a future that changes 
that changes them in the present moment and how they live. So this morning, do you feel hopeless? Even if you're in a moment feeling cynical, do you understand? Please listen. Because Micah gives a vision that is for us today. And he gives us three things to have a realistic and reliable hope for peace in a world like ours. He gives us first a vision. He gives second a promise. And then third, he shows us a walk. So let me pray and we'll, we'll get in. Father, we pray this morning, what we do not know, would you teach us? What we have not, would you give us? And what we are not, would you make us? We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, look with me one, one more time at the beginning of Micah 4, the first four verses. And I want you to listen to this vision of, of this world at peace. He writes this, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem." He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. So, so what's going on here? Several years ago... Um, we were hanging out with the family. This was like when like all the Star Wars movies were coming out, you know, like a few years ago. Each year there's a new one. And the family we were hanging out with, they had gone to it like the night before. And so we're hanging out with them. I still remember the father telling the son, do not tell them anything. I think it was the one where Han Solo dies. I don't know. Sorry if I ruined that for anybody, right? Spoiler. Well, the son listened to the father didn't give any spoilers, okay? Well, Mike, well, Micah is a spoiler. God, through the prophet Micah here, is giving the end of the story. That's what Micah's doing here. God, through Micah, is saying this. This is where all things are going. This is the end. You may now be experiencing war and conflict and oppression, but Micah is saying, listen to what is coming. And what's the future? It begins with this, the imagery of a mountain. It was the symbol in that day, it was a symbol where the deity's presence was with his people. And you'll notice there's many mountains. And yet it says this, that Yahweh, Israel's God, would become the highest. It means even though there were a, was a God for every nation, there's a day coming 
in which Israel's God would be raised up above all the rest and he would become the center of the entire world. And that people like a magnet would come and they would say, would you teach us your ways? I want to learn your ways. And it would bring about peace. Bruce Walke, one of my professors, described this vision this way. He said this, it shall be a place where Education leads them into proper social relationships. That is the worship of God and the love of one another. Where music and art are inspired not by earth's confusion and cacophony, but by his order and beauty. Where politics are moted not by a love of power, but by a desire to serve. And where economics is directed not by greed, but by justice. And because of this, the imagery continues, and it says this, that nations will take their weapons of war, swords, and they will transform them, they will repurpose them into instruments of cultivation, plowshares. Why? Because there's no use for swords anymore. Because people will come to Israel's God and they'll say, you are so wise, you judge between us. And this vision of peace leads to a world of prosperity. You know, the picture of sitting underneath a vine. Think about this for a moment. Uh, In Micah's day, there was this incredible economic gap between the wealthy and the poor. And the wealthy were oppressing the poor. And here what we see is actually this economic disparity becomes a distribution of economic empowerment and ownership where there's free from hunger and oppression and they're free to work their own land. In other words, do you understand what God, what, what God through Micah is saying here? This present moment of hopelessness, of injustice, of impression is saying this, this is where all things are going. This is the end of the story. But secondly, Micah gives a promise. In other words, how is this ever going to happen? The very beginning of verse 1, it says this, It shall come to pass in the latter days. You know, the the language of latter days, it's, it's a technical term. It's used by Moses, firstly, in Deuteronomy. Later on, the New Testament, it's used by Hebrews in the book of Acts. But always it means this. It means that God is going to bring about a new era, a new epic. And it's one in which they've been in exile, but he's going to bring about an era of restoration. In other words, Micah's vision is not somehow that because economic redistribution or kind of economic interdependence is going to bring about a world of peace, but rather God is going to intervene. God is going to do something in history to bring it about. And in Luke's gospel, which we read this morning, we hear the news of this new epic, this new era has come. Do you remember the scene? The shepherds, they're just watching their flock. And all of a sudden, an angel appears. And it says that they have good news that brings great joy. 
And then a chorus of angels appear. Why? Because in the city of David, a Savior has been born. And the angels, they sing this in Luke 2.14, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The promise of peace. The promise of a new epic. That's what Luke is saying is happening. Now you might wonder, how would this king that had come, how would he bring about peace? You might think, reading Micah 4, that what would happen is Jesus, who was born, would head to Jerusalem, be crowned king, and that all of a sudden the nations would become and stream and learn his ways, and that that would bring about a world of peace. But here's the flip. Jesus does go to Jerusalem, and he is crowned, but it's with the crown of thorns. How does that make sense? You know, eyewitnesses say that when Jesus was on the cross, he said this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And you might think at some point, maybe we need Jesus just as a model. Maybe that's what we need. You know, love is greater than hate. But you and I, we know in a world like this, we need more than that. We need more than a model. If that's all Jesus gives us as a model, then we are left with a crucified Savior. So what's happening? Because days later, here's, here's the rumor and here's the news. Eyewitnesses say that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. And see, that's the mystery. What just happened? The Apostle Paul writes this in Colossians 1. It says this, And through him, speaking about Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, And here it is, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, the language of reconciliation is this. It means taking those who are enemies, those who are at odds with one another, those who are in conflict, and it's a relational term, and it means making them friends. That's how the king makes a world at peace, which is why Jesus came to usher in a world of peace so that we could be restored in relationship to God, to be at peace with God. And his love goes so far that he's willing to endure. He's willing to die. He's willing to lay down his life to bring peace to you and to me. And here's what I say this morning. If you're exploring Christianity, would you please consider this? This is what the scriptures say, that God in the flesh came down in order to make peace with you. He willingly laid down his life for you to restore you back to God. And you see, when it says in this passage that the mountains shall be lifted up, that like a magnet you'll be drawn, do you understand? There is no other religion under the sun that talks about this this way. Every other religion says, you do something, and then you can be right with God. 
But this one says, no, I have come, and I have come to pursue you, and I have come to restore a relationship with you. Do you understand that? That is so different, and that's why you're drawn. Because when you see a love like that, there's nothing like it. Now, here's the deal. A lot of you are going, yeah, I know this, Pastor. But so what? Can we just wrap up and pray? No, we can't, because there's one more thing. And it's so vital. He gives us a walk. This is so important. Look, look, at, look at verse 5. For all the people walk, each in the name of its God, but we walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Notice for a moment how the grammatical tense changes. The first four verses were all future. It was all, here's what's coming. Here's the end of the story. But notice now it's present tense. It's saying, those who have this hope, those who have this promise of peace, it changes them in the present moment. In other words, if that's where your hope is, you've already gone to the mountain and you're saying, how do I learn your ways? How do I walk with you? How do I trust you in a world that's at conflict? And let me just say a side note. This is, listen, what you believe about your future changes how you live in the present moment. Because please consider this, that if, listen, if it's true that we're here by accident and someday the sun is going to burn out and none of this matters, then it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't. But if it's true that Christ has come and he has died, and he is risen, and he has promised to come again, then that means the future most assuredly is one of peace and prosperity, brought about by this good king. And that means in this present moment, it changes how you live. It's got to. It's got to work its way in to our relationships. It's got to work its way into our community. My good friend Brian Gregory was reading this week. He he wrote the following about this passage. Just it's so helpful. Here's what he writes. Every time you share the beauty of the gospel with someone who is crushed by their sin, enslaved by their addiction, drowning in their shame, and you point them to what Christ has done for them on the cross so that they can be at peace with God. You take a sword and you beat it into a plowshare. Every time you encounter hostility from someone else and you, just, and you decide to try to diffuse it with the love of Christ, you take a sword and you beat it into a plowshare. Every time you find yourself in the middle of a conflict and you decide to de-escalate it with calmness and empathy and compassion, you take a sword and you beat it into a plowshare. 
Every time you encounter rudeness from someone and you decide to repay it with kindness, you take a sword and you beat it into a plowshare. Every time you find yourself in a situation, everyone else's emotions are ramping up and you step into it with a calm presence, you take a sword and you beat it into a plowshare. Every time someone hurts you or tries to harm you, and instead of retaliating and getting back at them, you decide to forgive them with the grace of Christ, you take a sword and you beat it into a plowshare. Every time someone insults you, or belittles you, or mistreats you, and instead of returning evil for evil, you decide to turn the other cheek and love them anyway. You take a sword and you beat it into a plowshare. And every time you witness the violence, conflict, and tensions within our world, and choose not to make it worse, but instead to pray for God's peace to overcome it, you take a sword and you beat it into a plowshare. And every time you participate in an effort to bring God's peace, shalom into our community, to seek the peace and the common good of our city, of which there are countless ways, you take a sword and you beat it into a plowshare. End quote. And brothers and sisters, we, we don't work this out with a triumphalistic spirit. This isn't, this doesn't assume that every time you're in those situations, everything pans out and it's a great sitcom ending, right? Doesn't assume that. But here's what we do. We anchor our lives in this one ancient hope. That Christ has come. That Christ is risen. That Christ will come again. And we walk in our marriage, our friendships, our workplaces, our city groups, our neighborhoods, in the name of the Lord our God. And we offer a preview to all who are watching of the world that is most certainly coming. Let's pray. Father, this week, would you, would you make us instruments of your peace? Lord, where there is bitterness in our hearts, would you sow kindness and compassion? For that is what you've shown us. Lord, where there is hurt in our lives, done to us by others, would you strengthen our resolve to forgive? Where there is brokenness in relationships, would you bring about unity? I pray, Father, where there is despair, where it seems like it's just too far gone, and I don't even know the situations, but you know them. I pray you'd bring light. We praise you this morning that we can look back and see the faithfulness of your promise to come. 
And we look forward to the day in which you will return. And we pray now that you'd give us grace and strength to walk in your ways, to walk in your name in this world. It's in his name we pray. Amen.